0: Welcome back to another edition of the Terms and Definitions You Need to Know When You're Getting Ready to Buy Your First Home. This series started at episode 94, and it was terribly and rudely interrupted by some real-life interviews with first-time homebuyers to hear what they did to make it happen, and as well as some, well, I guess you would call them urgent updates on the housing market and our teetering economy. But today, let's take a break from all that, and we can focus on the vocabulary that you need to know. This is J, K, and L. That's our next step in the home-buying alphabet soup. Let's do it. What? is happening my how to buy homies it's david sidoni the how to buy a home podcast mc what what if you are brand new to the podcast i gotta tell you you picked a really weird place to start because we're right in the middle of the alphabet so if this is your first time i recommend stopping right now and just go back to episode 94 and start at a the beginning a very good place to start And last, of course, you're one of those weirdos who eats a sandwich from the, I don't know, the middle of the sandwich out to the crusts. I can't help you if you're that kind of weirdo. But I can't help all of you with the language of real estate. And today we're going to be doing J, K, and L. So let's start with the J's, which starts with a super jolly, (laughs) J for jolly, I'm kidding, it's not jolly. The first one's a nasty term. Our first J is judgment. Now, if you hear that word, You are either in trouble with a home that you already own, or the seller of the home that you own is in trouble, or the seller of the home that you're trying to buy is in trouble. A judgment, as far as property goes, a judgment is a legal decision rendered by a court. The judgment requires that the debt be repaid before the ownership can be transferred That means that your attorneys and your title companies and all the people involved with your transaction, they're going to make sure that all the judgments are cleared before the transaction or the transfer of possession can happen. This is the legal stuff that can make a for sale by owner pretty sketchy if you don't have somebody who knows what they're doing taking a look at the whole deal especially if the home has a judgment on it, because sometimes the judgments can have a property lien and that's going to secure the creditor's claim by providing the home as a collateral source. What does all that mean? It means it's going to be a big old messy mess. And that brings us to our next J, a judgment lien. That's where they put that lien on the property and it's the result from a decree from court. So someone in court says, hey, you... Mr. Debtor, you owe people, so we're going to put a lien on your property. We'll get more into the liens when we get into the L's. Back to the J's. Okay, let's do something a little more fun. J for jumbo loan. That's a loan that exceeds the mortgage amount for the home to be able to be purchased by Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac. Now, if you get the loan below the limits and you don't have to get into a jumbo loan, we call that a conforming loan and those can be purchased by Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and they end up having better terms and they can work out pretty well for you. Usually, like I said, better rates, better terms. Each year, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and their regulator, the Federal Housing Finance Agency, that's the FHFA, we talked about that back in the Fs, they're gonna set a maximum amount for the loans that they're going to have Fannie and Freddie buy from the lenders. So those loans get the better deals. And they set a different price limit for each area. If you go above the limit, which in 2022, the conforming loan limits in most areas increased to $647,200. Why? I don't know. That's the dumb number they chose. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> completely random, <laughs> 647200 Oh, okay, that makes sense. No idea. Anyway, if you go above that 647200 then you're going to get into what they call a non-conforming loan, which is the jumbo loan. Gosh, it took like a minute to get to what the heck a jumbo loan is. But that's what it is. Now, again, the conforming loans, that's the loans below the jumbo, They're gonna have different prices in different parts of the country. So that's why you want to get to your mortgage pro early and get all these facts. The logical rule of thumb is that if you have to go above that conforming into the non-conforming jumbo loan category, logically, that's usually means that you're gonna get higher rates and more of a down payment. And a lot of times the buyers have to show more assets. (laughs) I said you have to show more assets, as well as you have to show larger reserves required. But That changes all the time, depending on the market. And in some markets, we've actually seen the conforming, the non-jumbo loans, and the non-conforming, the jumbo loans, we've seen their rates be almost identical. It just depends on the market and what's going on and what the banks are trying to sell. So be sure to check with your mortgage pro to determine which loan is best for you. Now, here's some real insider stuff for you. If you're someone who is looking to buy a home and you're near that jumbo loan line, like you're maybe going to have to cross over from a conforming to a non-conforming, which means a non-jumbo to a jumbo loan. Well, if the rates and terms are different, then this could really be something you have to think about this. If the jumbo loans are more expensive and they've got a higher rate and they take more qualifications to get them, sometimes buyers are going to end up changing their down payment just to get their loan amount below that cap, that weird $647,200 cap. So let's say you're close to the cap then you and your lender should really work way ahead of time before you start putting offers because what if things change in the counter offers? Like imagine you're trying to buy a $675,000 home, right? Well, say you're trying to buy that with 5% down. Well, you need to stay under that weird government number of $647,200 and 5% down on a $675,000 home. Well, that means your loan's going to be $641,250. Perfect. 641 is below that weird 647 number, but you put that offer in and there's other buyers on the house, and now your 675 with five percent down suddenly just jumped up and you're offering 700,000. Well, 700 with five percent down now that means your loan is going to be six hundred and sixty five thousand dollars, which means you have jumped to a jumbo loan. So, most buyers look into the strategy of not putting that exact 5% down, but rather they're gonna pay the exact number from the purchase price to get to whatever that cap is before they go jumbo. So if you're in that fortunate place where you are able to afford a home, where your loan is gonna be near the conforming, non-conforming jumbo cutoff, be sure that you have done all the math. Go through every possible scenario beforehand So you can figure out how much you need to adjust so you can stay under that cap. This can save you boatloads of cash. Why a boatload? I mean, boats are big, but I guess I'd take it. I'll take a boat full of cash. Fine. And our final J is a junior mortgage. No, that's not a mortgage's little offspring. It's a loan that is subordinate to the primary loan or the lien mortgage. It's you know, commonly referred to as a second or a third mortgage, sometimes a second note, third note, just something good for you to know. Okay. Moving on to our next letter K. Okay. Let me look. See, we got kangaroo, kazoo, kerfuffle, kush. Well, nope. No real estate words with K. Moving on. Letter L. Okay, this is the L word, land lease. Traditionally, when you purchase a home, you're gonna own the home and the land that the property is built on. There are some circumstances that involve a land lease. Now, that means you're gonna own the home while you're actually paying a rent or a lease on the land. Now, the reason this is so important is because that means the loan approval that you got is now going to deduct that lease payment from your monthly approval number. And that monthly approval number determines how much home you can buy. So for instance, let's say you're approved for $1,248 a month. That buys you $200,000 worth of home. But if the home has a $300 land lease that you need to pay each month, then you need to subtract that $300 land lease from that $1,248. And now, suddenly, you're only approved for $948, and that is only worth a price of $145,000. You just lost $55,000 worth of buying power. So, gang, this is a super big one to be aware of. I cannot tell you how many first-time buyers have called me over my career or emailed me or texted me freaking out because they found a home online where... The home looked way underpriced for the area. Like I always say, if it looks too good to be true, it is. That's because they're on the land lease. The land lease, is it's the ultimate psych out. And I hate that the real estate industry doesn't put land lease in big font right next to the price because that price is completely affected by the land lease, but they don't. So fine. Add that to the list of things that I'm going to change when you all keep listening to the podcast and start this revolution. Then I become the czar of real estate and I make things clear and understandable for all buyers. Ta-da! So beware a super low price that doesn't fit in the values of the area. It might have a land lease for five, six, seven hundred bucks, which means that with the extra payment, you could afford like a hundred thousand dollars more in price of a home. The land lease concept and renting the land that the property is on is also an extremely important piece for everybody looking at manufactured homes on lease land or especially mobile homes and mobile home parks. Because a lot of those places, each of the owner rents the land and it's part of your monthly payment. So if you're just starting out and you're trying to figure all this out, make sure you're not comparing the price of an entry-level condo, townhome, or even a small entry-level house to a manufactured home or a mobile home that's on a land lease if you don't understand the math of that because you're going to see much lower prices and think you can afford it when in actuality, once you add in the land lease, you could be buying something else for 50, 75 or hundred thousand dollars more. Okay, our next L, something that fortunately I think many of you might be aware of it's called a late charge now I'm just going to talk to you about this in mortgage terms. A late charge is imposed by the lender when a borrower fails to make the scheduled payment on time. And usually when it comes to your grace period in buying a home, it's usually 10 to 15 days. But here's the big thing about late charges. Yes, you're going to get a charge if you go past 10 or 15 days. Usually that's what most lenders do, but it's not going to hit your credit as a late payment until you hit 30 days. So if you're having a real bad month, don't freak out about a hit in your credit. you'll have to pay the extra fee if you go you know from 10 or 15 or 20 or 25 days if that's what your contract with your lender says but it's not going to hit your credit till you hit 30 days. okay this next L is something that I get asked about a lot. so I'm gonna be referring a lot of people back to this episode especially you guys listening in 2023 and 2024, I probably just sent you back to this episode because everybody asks me about this one. What this is, is a lease purchase or a rent to own. And then while we're here, we'll talk about the lease purchase option. The definition for the lease purchase or the rent to own is where You're renting the property for a little while, a little bit of money goes towards it, and then eventually, at some contracted time, you are legally binded to purchase the home once your lease terms are up. The lease option gives you the option to buy the home or bail on the lease at some point. Now, do these exist? Yes, these exist. Are they a good idea? Usually, no. No, they're not. Look, gang, I could do an entire episode on this, but instead, I'm just going to tell you that in general, these fall under the just too good to be true category. I wish they could be something that was going to work out for you. But for all the time I see everyone on social media bagging on the boomers, you got to take the good with the bad. This is a boomer idea. This is a boomer philosophy. And this does not work in today's world. So if you're saying, I heard my friend, but no, no, no. That's just a boomer talking. So let it go. So here's the real basics behind it. So you understand when you're talking about a rent to own or a lease purchase or a lease purchase option, you are absolutely in the weakest position out of everybody in that transaction. Okay. Most people asking about a rent to own or a lease option or a lease purchase, they're asking because they can't get approved at the time that they start or want to start this contract. So they think that they're at least getting something towards owning the home, and that's better than renting. Now, I I love that idea. I love the creative thinking, but like in all things in life, your own self-awareness is going to benefit you greatly. Understand where you are. You are in the worst position. You don't own a property, and you want to own the property, and everyone knows that. The landlord owns the property and rather than sell the home to a qualified buyer out there, they instead enter into this deal with you. So ask yourself, why would they do that? Where do they benefit? Remember, be self-aware and understand that at this current time, you're just in the weaker position. No judgments. That's just where you are. Be aware. Don't be ignorant about where you are. Be understanding and realize how strong their position is versus yours. Now, here's a very, very quick list, and this is by no means everything, but a quick list of the disadvantages that you should be very aware of and will help you really take a second look at this whole process. Number one, you're probably going to pay more in rent every month than you would if you were just a regular old runner. You may think that all that extra is going towards ownership, but most of the time, not all of it is. In fact, not as much as you think it is. The landlord is going to take a little extra fee out of that. You're still going to pay your full rent, then they're going to take the fee out of it. And that fee is just a service fee that the landlord is taking to hold and save your money for you. Convenience fee, anyone? Number two, you're paying far less towards the actual down payment and the the purchase of the home than you think. You always need to check the numbers. I've seen some of these that you only pay out of your full rent, like a hundred or two hundred or three hundred dollars towards what you are trying to purchase. So at the end of the year, the whole year, you've saved two, three, four thousand bucks. It's a real small drop in the bucket. And Here is the biggie. Number three, most rent to own contracts require a non refundable upfront fee. Bam. This one is the big fat killer. I mean, I hope you can pull together and get improved by the time that your contract is finished. But if you can't, guess what? (gasps) You lose that deposit. And you know what? The landlords are counting on that. Remember when I said be self-aware and understand why they get into it in the first place? This is why they get into it in the first place. What would you rather do if you were a landlord? Would you rather rent a home and make rent for a year or two years or three years or What would you rather do as a landlord? Would you rather rent the home for three years and know what you're going to get or roll the dice and try a rent to own or a lease purchase and have somebody try to do this for three years, not be able to get their stuff together. Now you got three years worth of rent and that big fat non-refundable bonus. Now, those three pieces alone should be enough to help you understand how I really feel about this whole process and how this process most of the time is just not to your advantage. But for those of you stubborn folks, fine. Number four, you might lock in at a bad price. Prices change and you're going to lock in at the price that the start of the contract you agree on. So that means you're going to be negotiating and choosing a price at the time that you are currently someone who... Is unable to be approved for your own loan purchase at the time. Now, if you, at that time in your life, when you're unable to get uh, approved for a loan for a home, but you feel like you're in the position where you can negotiate the correct price for where a home's gonna be in one, two, three, five years, well, then you're better than every investor since the beginning of time. And then we go to number five. You think it's hard to get your current landlord to put any money into repairs when you're just a renter? Wait till you're a rent-to-own renter and the landlord sees the light at the end of the tunnel and doesn't want to pay for anything. Oh, and number six, late or miss payment cancels the whole deal. You're out. End of story. And number seven scares the crap out of me, and this is why I really freak out about this. The rent-to-own setup is probably one of the biggest areas we see scams and shady deals happening in real estate. According to the Consumer Information Report, defrauded rent-to-own tenants have found out a little too late some of these terrible things. The landlords can't legally sell the house because, oops, they don't actually own it. The landlord and the seller actually has several years of unpaid property taxes. they find out that the house is in major disrepair, but you haven't actually done an inspection because you've just been living there and you didn't get a chance to go up in the attic and find out that everything is broken. Or the one I see a lot, the house is actually headed towards foreclosure and the landlord's been taking your rent while he's not even paying his mortgage. So bottom line with a lease option or a rent to own is that as the tenant, you take on most of the risk. Even if you're a perfect tenant, you follow everything to the letter of the law to the contract. The landlord still has tons of outs or they might not even own the place. So there's tons of ways this can go wrong for you. In general, I would just say I'm not a fan of these. If you actually start your own bona savings plan, debt reduction plan, and a credit score improvement, all on your own, you're going to be far better off biting the bullet and just renting a regular old rental for a year or two and get yourself together so you can get an approval and do it with you in control. Okay, our next L word is lender. A lender is a financial institution or agency that loans you money. Told you, I'm going to kindergarten on this one, gang. We're doing all the definitions. Now, another thing you might find out as a lender is sometimes the dude or the lady or the non-binary person that helps you, sometimes they're referred to as the lender. They're also referred to as the loan officer. These officers don't have a badge, but they best have a license if they're helping you with a loan. The next L is the lender's title insurance. Lender's title insurance protects your lender against problems with the title to your property, such as someone with a legal claim against the home. Bear in mind, this is different than an owner's title insurance policy. So, check with your lender and your realtor to find out exactly what you need. That's why you need good unicorn lenders and realtors, real unicorns. Our next L is liabilities. When it comes to the world of finance and financing a home, liabilities are your debts and other financial obligations. It's what you owe for the purpose of this home purchase and your home approval. This is not your psychological or personal liabilities. That's totally different. And that's not for me to judge. And that leads to another one, liability insurance. This is something that you need to make sure that you have when you in your homeowner's insurance policy, make sure you've got liability insurance, because I know you've been trying to get away from landlords for so long. But guess what? When you own a house, you're kind of like a landlord. And if someone trips on your step or your carpet and they deem that it was unsafe, you are liable for that. So make sure you have insurance and make sure you have a ring camera that shows that your friend was actually drinking half a bottle of tequila before they fell on your porch. Okay, we're getting towards the end of the L's here, but now we're going to get into some major real estate nerd category. Who's ready for it? All right, here we go. LIBOR Index. Oh, just kidding. The LIBOR Index is gone. But I figure this is a good place for me to talk about it uh, because LIBOR is what everybody knew. Now you're going, who's everybody, dude? I've never heard of this thing. I understand. I get it. But uh, look, this is important for you to know. LIBOR is the old acronym and the new acronym to help you feel even more confused is SOFR. S-O-F-R. It stands for the Secured Overnight Finance Rate and is produced by the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. So the SOFR index is something you need to know if you're going to be working with an adjustable rate mortgage. Our good friend, the ARMS. When you're doing an ARM, the lender calculates your full interest rate using two numbers, the index from SOFR and the margin index is the benchmark rate that reflects market conditions. So that used to be the LIBOR and now it's a so forth So an easy way to think about it is this. In an adjustable rate loan, your mortgage interest rate is the index plus the margin. And that margin is determined by your lender. And that's a judgment on your ability to repay the loan and your credit and all that stuff when they set up the loan. So that margin set at the original loan agreement and it doesn't change after you're closing. That margin is the number of percentage points that's added to the index. And the index comes from the SOFR and that's how you get your total interest rate. There, who fell asleep at my real estate nerd time? Well, for those of you who are trying to get an adjustable rate mortgage, someday you'll go back and listen to that. Okay, the next L is a lien. Now, the Google definition for a lien or a property lien specifically is a claim or a charge on the property for a payment of a debt. And when you got a mortgage, the lender has the right to take the title of your property if you don't make the mortgage payments so they can put a lien on it. Also good to know that a lien against a property when you're trying to buy it, it has to be satisfied before it's sold. So you're not going to get stuck with a lien. But you need to make sure of all this with your real estate attorneys and title companies or escrow companies or whoever you're using. Okay, our next L term is going to jump us back into our good friends, the adjustable rate mortgage. The arm, arm, is a lifetime cap or a lifetime adjustment cap. The cap determines how much the interest rate can increase in total over the lifetime of the loan. Makes sense. Lifetime cap. Next L is liquid assets. That's just the cash asset, the money that you got. Or sometimes they will consider something a liquid asset if it's a asset that can easily be converted into cash. Our next L is a loan. Kind of important if you're looking to buy a house. A loan is money borrowed that's usually repaid with interest. Now, like we discussed, you should know all about conventional loans versus government loans and conforming loans versus non-conforming. Next to L is the loan contingency. This is an important one. A loan contingency is a clause or an addendum, also known as a mortgage contingency. It's in your contract, in your offer, and allows the buyer to back out of the deal and keep their deposit if they're unable to secure the mortgage with the specific terms during a fixed period of time in your contract. Very, very important that you and your lender and your realtor have discussed not only your liability in all your contract timelines, but in competitive markets, you actually might want to talk about this ahead of time before you write your offer. If you're thinking about maybe shortening these time periods, or in some cases, if you're solid on your loan, maybe even removing it. That way, your offer looks more attractive, more put together, and A stronger and more competitive offer when you got a bunch of people trying to buy the home. This can be a big advantage for you because not everybody out there has got me in their ear holes or their eye holes. I see you too, YouTube, telling you that they should prepare and getting ready way before they even go out to look at an open house, which you're doing, right? Good. Moving on to our next L, it's the LE, that's the loan estimate. Now, you might have heard this as a good faith estimate or a GFE or something else in the past but the new term as of 2022 is the LE. It's a three-page document, a loan estimate and it's a form that you receive after applying for your mortgage. It's a disclosure to help consumers, that's you guys, understand the key loan terms and the estimated cost of a mortgage. So the LE gets compiled after you submit six elements. Your name, your income, your social security number, your property address, your estimated property value, and your desired loan amount. Get all that in, and the lender is required to provide you with this form. This is for your protection. It's a newer thing in real estate brought to you by our good folks at the CFPB, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. And all the lenders are required to use the same standard loan estimate, LE form, to make this easier for consumers to compare and shop for a mortgage. Our next L is loan fraud, purposely giving incorrect information on a loan application. That's going to be loan fraud. And here's a little tip for you guys. Many of the investment schemes and the Airbnb money makers and buying your second homes and investment homes that you see all over social media. Many of those strategies are actually loan fraud. Just want you to know. The next L is loan modification. Now, a mortgage loan modification, that's a thing. And I'm not going to bother to define it in detail here, because the truth is when things change in the market, like when the market crashed in '08 to 2010, or when the pandemic hit in 2020, the banks rewrote all the loan modifications rules to adjust with a crashing or changing market. And guess what? They're going to do it again whenever whatever happens next happens. You just need to know that a loan modification or what people call a loan mod is a thing. Foreclosure is not your answer. At some point, depending on what's going on in the current market, you could potentially apply and get a loan modification to change your terms so you can still honor your contract. Next up is the loan origination. This is the process in which a loan is made. And it may include taking a loan application, processing, underwriting the application, and closing the loan. You're also going to hear about the loan origination as the loan origination fee. This is the service fee that the lender's charging you, and it's a very good thing to ask when you're shopping for lenders. But be wary, this is not the only way the lenders can charge you, but the origination fee is something you should know. When you get a loan, you're going to hear a lot about loan servicing. There'll be different companies that will service your loan. That just means that it's the management of the loan. And sometimes your loans will get sold from one servicer to another. And I know a lot of people freak out when they hear that, oh, I did all this work to find my lender and then they sold it to someone else. Yeah, they get sold all the time, but they get sold with the exact same rates and terms. But it is kind of funny when I see people freak out that they worked so hard to get a lender and then a month later their loan is sold to somebody else. Yeah, they didn't really care about you. All right, our next L is the loan-to-value ratio, also known as the LTV. This is a big one. Got to know this one. LTV is the ratio that you really need to know, and here's how you calculate it. This is the number that you use to eliminate your PMI, so you really want to learn this one. The loan-to-value, the LTV, is the amount borrowed compared to the appraised value or if you just bought the place, the sales price of the property. All right, so here's how it works. You put 20% down on the home and it got value to your list price. So the day you close on that, you got 20% down and of the purchase price. So that's the appraised value. So your LTV is 80%. Does that make sense? So Your loan to value in that situation, if you've got 20% down and you've got an 80% LTV, you have no PMI. But if you put 5% down, then your LTV is 95%. And most of the banks are going to say that you've got to have 80% at least to have your PMI not happen. But if you purchase a home, sometimes they're going to say, okay, we'll take it away, but you need to get it to 78% to dump the PMI. So the way that happens is you monitor your LTV and the way you're doing is you're watching your principal reductions to the loan that happens when you make payments on the loan as well as you're watching the appreciation because that changes the appraised value. So your loan to value is your total loan that you still owe after some payments compared to what the home is worth. Okay, getting to the end of the L's, we got the lock-in rate. Now, this is one that I hear a lot of people talk about, lock-in rate. And it seems that there is some major confusion on this one. A lot of people think that when you get the traditional loan approval, that that's good for 90 days. But they seem to think that their rate is locked in without approval. Nope, not true. These are two totally different things. If you don't have a property that you have an offer in on and accepted, your approval is that thing you get before you go out shopping and that approval doesn't have a rate locked in. That approval is subject to you getting a home that you're under contract with and then you can lock your rate. Yeah. So you got 90 days and your loan approval says that you can buy X amount of home for 90 days, but they're doing that based on the rates at the time that you do the approval. But absolutely not guaranteeing you anything if those rates change in that time. So locking your rate becomes very important. Once you're under your contract, you can lock in the mortgage rate for a specific amount of time with most lenders. Times and terms will vary with your specific loan product and specific lender. So keep in mind, you don't lock in your interest rate with an approval, but you do need to get that approval way ahead of time, which means while you have that approval in your home shopping, you and your unicorn lender should be doing lots of work following the loans and seeing how the payments change and understanding everything so that when you get under contract, you'll be able to lock that rate in something that you're already prepared for. Our next L word is a word that some people think is ugly, but I actually see it as kind of a little bit of a salvation. It's called loss mitigation. Ooh, mitigation is your salvation. Love that. Any form of uh, loss mitigation is something to help you avoid foreclosure. The cool thing about it is that some of them will actually help you stay in your home. Some of the options with loss mitigation are deed in lieu of foreclosure, forbearance, payment plan, a short sale, or a loan modification big thing about these is remember, even if you miss one payment, call them right before it gets any worse. This is going to help you tremendously if times get tough. And our last L word of the day, it's the low down payment. Yes, yes, they exist. Okay, that's it for today's letters. Whew, that was a lot of them. We got more to come. So if this was helpful to you at all, rate, review, and share so I can keep recording these random glossary episodes for all you confused and curious peeps out there. Stay frosty. You can do this.